It's good to be here with you today. I, I trust that you're doing well. Uh, for those of you who do not know me, my name is Josiah McDaniel. I'm the administrator here at Fletcher. Uh, it's been my privilege to serve here for, uh, almost eight years now. Uh, it's amazing how time has flown in, the, in that process. But today I invite you to take your Bibles, uh, turn to Luke chapter 18. We're going to be in Luke chapter 18. We'll, we'll take a hiatus from Hebrews for a week. We're going to look at a parable of, that, that's often called the parable of the persistent widow or the unjust judge as it's sometimes called. But as you're turning there, just a question for you this morning. How, have you ever noticed how different people are when it comes to asking for things? Uh, the, the, there is a, a broad spectrum uh, uh, when it comes to asking for things. On the one end of that spectrum, you have people who feel entitled to things, and so they are very brazen when it comes to asking for things, almost to the point, and sometimes to the point of demanding things, right? You know, pop culture has even given a name to some of these people. Uh, it's, uh, they, they call them Karens, and I, I, I apologize if your name is Karen. Uh, I do apologize. Uh, I'm just here to report the news, not to make it. Uh, that's what they call them. But these, these people, they expect to get their way, and they demand to get their way, and they will talk to your manager a lot, right? Uh, the, the, uh, and you can't go anywhere with them because they will make a scene, and they will embarrass you in public and, and think nothing about it. But, 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 but that's on one end of the spectrum. And kind of right next to them, you have your, kind of your, your hustlers, your, uh, those people who have just, a, just an outrageous story behind why they're asking you for what they're asking you for. And, and they will think nothing about asking you for the shirt off your own back. They, they, uh, they think nothing about it. And if you say no to them, well, they'll, they'll just go to the next person and they'll find somebody else to ask. Uh, they ask for a lot of things. And they're just playing percentages. They, they think if I ask enough people, I'm going to get enough, right? And then right next to the Karens and the hustlers, you've got a group that are called children. And that's not a knock on children. I love children. Uh, but because children can't really do anything uh, for themselves, all they know is to ask for everything, right? All they know is they have needs and they have wants, and uh, they're not really mature enough to understand the, the difference between needs and wants. But all they know is they have something they need or they have something they want. And all they can do is ask for it and ask for it and ask for it. And even if you said no a thousand times, they still ask for it. And because their language isn't as developed as others, they may say, they may say things to you like, I can have that. And I, and I always scratch my head when they say that because it's like, are you asking me or are you telling me? Because it sounds like you're asking me, but your, your sentence structure says you're telling me that you can have this. Uh, but that's on the one end of the spectrum. But then there's the other end of the spectrum, and you have those who are pessimists. Those who really don't want to ask at all, but they'll ask once. They're expecting you to say no, and they're more than willing to take no for an answer. And so a lot of times with these people, you know, that they will... Him and Hall kind of around asking the question. They'll qualify it with a million things to the point that you almost have to ask the question for them just to be done with the conversation, right? There's the, there's the pessimist. And next to those people, you have kind of the timid, right? These are people who are afraid to even ask. They think that if they ask, they're going to put some imposition on you, that, that they, are going to, they are going to put you out in some way. And so they don't want to ask. 
or they, they are, they're afraid of rejection. They're afraid of the no, and so they don't ask at all, and so they sit in silence, and they suffer with having needs but not at being willing to ask for them because they're afraid. And at the far end of this spectrum, you have the self-sufficient. And these are people who are deceived by pride. They're simply unwilling to ask at all because they want to be seen as in control. I don't need anything from anybody else. Or, 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 the, or they don't want to be beholden to any, anybody else because, as we know uh, w- with our society, when, when somebody gives you something, oftentimes it comes with strings attached. And they don't want to be beholden. They don't want to owe anybody. And so they will not ask because they, are, they feel self-sufficient. You know, they could have just lost a limb and they're in the process of bleeding out. And, and, and you go and you're like, can, can I call you a doctor? And they're like, no, it's just a flesh wound. I'm good. You know, and, and so they're unwilling to, to ask. Even when they have needs and even when other people know they have needs, their, their pride gets in the way and they won't ask. But this morning, where do you find yourself in this spectrum of being willing to ask, not being willing to ask. Where do you find yourself? If I had to be honest with you this morning, I would admit that I'm further over on the the, the right end of that spectrum. I'm a mixture of hating to cause others impositions, and I'm also unwilling to admit my need for help. It's a weird amalgamation of timidity and pride, but that's my heart this morning. And, 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 And that's why God challenged me with this message this morning. Because this morning, Christ is going to challenge us from from the Word of God, from our text, to ask God in faith, to pray persistently and to pray confidently to Him who is the righteous judge over all the earth. Instead of losing heart and getting discouraged and giving up, He's going to ask us and tell us, you need to ask God in, in faith and continue to ask God in faith and persist in that asking until you get an answer. So let's look at our text. This is Luke 18, 1 through 8. And he spoke a parable unto them to this end, for this reason, that men ought always to pray and not to faint or lose heart. And so here's the parable, verse 2. There was in a city a judge who feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of my adversary. Give me justice in this situation. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, I will give her justice here, lest by her continually coming she weary me, she wear me out in this situation. And the Lord said, verse 6, Hear what the unjust judge says. And shall not God, shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father God, I thank you for the privilege of of standing before your people, your congregation, for delivering your word this morning. It is a privilege it is a high one. And Father, I, I am sure without you I can do nothing. D- dear God, I, I come though in confidence that your Holy Spirit has promised to attend to your word. And so that's what we ask for this morning. Uh, Holy Spirit, attend to your word. Uh, dear God, open our eyes to it. Open our, our hearts to it. Break down the barriers. Allow us to see Christ 
clearly through this text. Allow us to be convicted, to be challenged, and to be brought into a right frame of mind and a right frame of action this morning. Father, I pray that, uh, uh, that your word would, would fall on fertile ground this morning and that we would be obedient to the word because as you speak, help us to listen. And we'll thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's talk about context of this parable for, for a moment. In Luke 18, Jesus is in the process of heading to Jerusalem for the last time. He's on the way for Passover and ultimately what will be his crucifixion. But so along the way, because it's going to be Passover, he has his disciples, and then there's all these crowds around him. And along this way, as he goes, part of that crowd is a group of Pharisees. And so in chapter 17, they're questioning him about when is the kingdom of heaven, when is the kingdom of God actually going to come? But Jesus kind of flips the script on them, and instead of answering the question as they present it, because they're looking for some outward sign of the coming of God's kingdom, instead uh, he challenges them that you have to be prepared inwardly and spiritually for the coming of the kingdom, or you'll absolutely miss it. And then from there, Jesus turns the conversation from the uh, from being directed toward the Pharisees to his disciples. And, and he's going to let them know that the coming of, of, of the Son of Man is going to be preceded by chaos and turmoil and, and, and by destruction and by suffering. And as God's people, you will have to persevere and endure through that. And to not lose heart, you will need to persevere by persistent faith-filled prayer, and that is the, the main idea of this morning's message, is that Christ calls us to persevere by faith-filled prayer. Christ calls us to persevere by faith-filled prayer. Let's look at the first point, and that's this. Christ desires, let's read, this is verses one through five. Let's read them once again, just to make sure we have the parable down pat. And so he spoke a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, and neither regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. So let's dive right into this parable, shall we? Who is it directed towards? And this is an important point. If you'll notice in verse 1, the, the parable was directed towards them. And because it's a pronoun, we have to look back to its antecedent, which is chapter 17, 22, where he speaks to the disciples. Uh, so the, the parable is directed to his disciples, followers of Christ. And this is important this morning because this whole parable is couched in the understanding that you must be in a right relationship with God in order to have this sort of access to God in prayer. You have to be in right relationship to him. You have to be one of his in order, in order for, the, for, for this parable to work. And so what is the parable about? Fortunately, uh, we're not left to guess. Fortunately, Luke, uh, our author here, uh, he, he gives us Holy Spirit-inspired commentary right from verse 1. He tells us exactly what it's about. We don't have to wonder. He says right in verse 1, he says, Men ought always to pray and not to faint or lose heart. And so the main idea of this parable is it's necessary. There's an oughtness about it. It's necessary for us to, as followers of Christ to persistently and faithfully and continually pray to God to seek him so that we do not faint, we do not lose heart, 
we do not get so discouraged by the brokenness and the fallenness that we see in our world that, that we are discouraged and we are tempted to give up and quit. That's the purpose of the parable. In other words, persistent, faith-filled prayer is crucial. It's the key here. To, uh, persistent, faith-filled prayer to God. It helps us persevere in this chaotic, in this destructive world. And notice, because it says, there's, you notice the negative command to not, that, that, that men ought to pray and not to faint, not to lose heart. When you see that negative command, there's the assumption that the conditions abound for you actually becoming discouraged. Christ is saying the world will make you discouraged. The world will cause you, will tempt you to lose heart, to, uh, to think everything is lost. And that's why you must pray. That's why you must persist in praying. Otherwise, you will lose heart. And so that's verse 1, and then verses 2 through 5 are our actual parable. Jesus is going to use to get this point across that men ought always to pray and not to lose heart. And then verses 6 through 8 are his, are his application of that parable to the disciples and to us this morning. So let's break down this parable. So in verse 2, we're introduced to a judge. He's from a city, and notice how he's described. He's described as he doesn't fear God, and he has no respect for, ma- for mankind either. Which is a problem, right? That's a, that's a big problem here, right? This judge doesn't fear God, and God is the creator and giver of the law. That's a problem. He doesn't fear God. God is, is the one who has ordained this judge, as God has all human government, to arbitrate the law, to reward the good and punish the evil. That's what Romans 13, 4 tells us. That that's the purpose of government, that God has set it up. And this judge, as being part of government, that's his job, is to reward good and punish evil. But notice the judge doesn't fear God, and so we can throw that out the window this morning, according to the parable. But notice that he doesn't, they also, he, on top of not fearing God, he doesn't respect humanity either. Which logically follows here, right? Because if you don't respect God, how would you, and you don't fear God, how would you respect his image bearers, humanity? And so, uh, because this judge doesn't operate according to God's standards, we are left to assume that the rulings that he makes, they're arbitrary. They're self-willed, they're self-interested, and the only way he will help you in a situation is if your interest happened, just so happened to line up with his, then he will help you in a situation. That's the judge, verse 2. Now, in verse 3, we're introduced to our next character, and that's the widow. And so in the same city, there is a widow who comes to the judge with a petition to, to, to bring about justice for her in a matter against her adversary. And so the, the, the character of the widow here. It's going to paint the picture, and, and often it does in Scripture, especially in the Gospels. It paints the picture of one who is poor and helpless and needy, and, and someone who is easily oppressed and someone who has no one else to help them in a matter. And so because she has no one else, she goes to the, the only hope that she, she the, the only person who could possibly help her, and that's the judge. Um, but, but notice here, we don't know the nature of, of the violation against her. We don't know anything about her opponent, her adversary in this legal dispute. We don't know what, 
what the case was. We, we don't know even how valid the case was. All we know is that this, this widow has come for seeking justice from God. Excuse me, seeking justice from the judge. And I believe the reason that it's left open here is because Christ is, is highlighting the need to, for us as his people to bring any, any petition to God, no matter how big or how small. Regardless of what we think of it, bring it to God. Uh, I believe that's the reason it's left open-ended and ambiguous in the text. is because Christ is saying he doesn't want us to measure our, our need with, with what this, this, this widow brought toward the judge. But, but I want you to take careful note of the verb there in, in verse 3. That, that, that word uh, came or, or kept coming as it is probably in a lot of your text. Uh, the, the, the tense of the, ju- of the verb there is suggesting to us that this was not a one-off. This was not a, a one-time deal, that, but, but that the action was continually. It was ongoing. She kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. This was not, you know, like, like I said, a one-time petition. You know, this was not being intimidated by the nature of the judge and knowing that the judge was the way he is and saying, well, I'll, I'll just go and see. I, he, he probably's not going to help me, but, but I'm just going to go and see and, and, and hope beyond all hope that he'll help me. It was not that. It was not taking no for an answer. It was persistent petitioning. This was coming every day and waiting in line all day until it was her turn to be heard by the judge. And we, we, we know that also from verses 4 or 5 because if you notice in, in verse 4, the judge had refused to help for a while. So, so a, a period of time has passed where she has come and she has come and she has come and she has brought the same complaint to the judge. And, 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 and time after time, he's told her no, he's sent her away. But she's come for a while. And then in verse 5, you'll see, you, you, in, in what the judge says, we know that he's afraid that she's going to keep coming and keep coming and continually come until the, at the point that she wears him out. Uh, so the widow is persistent seeking justice from the judge, bringing her petition to him, wanting justice, looking for justice, seeking justice. She's there every day, continually, persistently. And finally, her persistence pays off, and the judge begrudgingly grants her her request for restitution, for justice. I believe this morning Christ wants us to identify with this widow. You see, apart from him, we are helpless. We are needy. And we live in an unjust world full of hurt and disappointment, a world full of sickness and death, a world full of hatred and destruction, a world full of spiritual blindness and lostness. It's very easy to get overwhelmed in this world. Watch enough news and you will. Face enough circumstances in life and you will. If you've lived... Any amount of time in your life, I'm sure you've had some news that absolutely blindsided you. You weren't expecting it. It was just another day, and you got that news, and it flipped your world upside down. It's easy to get overwhelmed in times like that. It's so easy to see the, the destruction of society and culture and, and, and the, what's going on in our, our world around us that we lose heart and we give up in despair. And the remedy to that discouragement is to call on God, to look to him to look to him to make things right and to remain steadfast in our prayers. You see, because Christ is calling us as his people to pray persistently, 
to pray without ceasing, as the Apostle Paul would say in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. And so we need to bring our petitions before him and wait in faith for his righteous answers that he has promised to give us. And that leads us to point two, is that, and that's this, Christ promises his people righteous answers to their prayers. This is verses six and seven. Look at it with me, if you will. And the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge says, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? And so notice, notice there in verse 6, we have, we're instructed, we're, we're commanded to hear what the unjust judge said in the parable there in verses 4 and 5. Jesus told us what the unjust judge was thinking within his own heart. But do you notice something odd about what the judge said in verse 4? It's basically a repetition of verse 2. The judge is admitting within his own heart that I don't fear God and I really don't have respect for humanity. What's the purpose of that? I believe Jesus is telling us the reason the unjust judge acted was not because he repented of his, of his lack of fear of God. He didn't have any come to Jesus moment here. And neither was his ruling the result of this widow's plight piercing his icy cold heart and, 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 and making him feel something for her and causing him to do the right thing in the situation. I will say this parable is not how the Grinch stole Christmas. The judge's heart did not grow three sizes that day. He was still acting out of self-interest. That's what, that's, that's, what, that's what he's saying within himself. I don't fear God. I don't care about man. And I certainly don't care about this widow. I'm just tired of her coming. I'm tired of, I'm tired of having to deal with her. I want to send her away. He's still acting out of self-interest. He is troubled by this widow. By her persistence. He was done with it. And he knew the only, the, only, the only solution so that he didn't get wore out in the situation was to give her what she wanted so she would be quiet and go away. I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, it, um, when you're taking a, a long road trip with your family and you've got small children, it's the reason why today uh, we give our children, uh, we give them headphones and we, we pop a DVD in and we give them tablets because we're just trying to pacify and distract them so, so, so that you don't have to deal with fussing and with uh, are we there yet and t tell him to stop looking at me and, and, uh, and all that. And I'm not passing judgment on that, by the way. Uh, not at all. You know, when I was a kid, we didn't have that technology. So um, what my parents would do, they'd just leave at like 3 in the morning so th the hope that we would sleep the whole way or most of the way and so they wouldn't have to deal with that. It's basically what the judge is doing here. He's, he's given this, this woman a pacifier and saying, be quiet, here's your answer, leave me alone. But, you know, so much for a feel-good story, right? It doesn't exactly warm the cockles of your heart this morning, does it? But this is where I have to warn us about drawing faulty conclusions from this parable. We are tempted to think, and, and might I say wrongly, we are tempted to think wrongly that because we are to identify with the widow and, and, and the widow petitioned this bum of a judge, we are tempted to think that God must be like the judge in the parable. And that's what Jesus is saying. 
that God is somehow arbitrary in his decision-making, that he does what he's going to do regardless of how it affects humanity, that he cannot be bothered by our trifling little problems, that he sits above it all removed and unaffected by our plight. That's what we're tempted to, to, do, to think this morning, perhaps. And maybe that's why we don't pray any more than we do. It's because we think that. Maybe that's why we think things like, well, you know what, I, I don't want to bother God with this one. This is a little issue. He, he's got much bigger problems to deal with out in the world. I, you know, I'll try to handle this one myself and save my prayers for the really big problems. As if somehow God was up in heaven rationing prayers or something. But ask yourself, is God finite? Is God finite? Is any problem too big or too small for our God? Does, he, does him hearing and handling any one of our problems prevent him from handling and hearing any of, of the needs of the rest of the universe? No, absolutely not. Furthermore, ask yourself the question, is God miserly? Is he unwilling to act on our behalf as his people? No, absolutely not. A thousand times, no. The problem is not God and his willingness the problem is our wrong belief in faithlessness. Because see, when it comes down to it, we do not pray because we do not think it will do any good. We think God's just going to do what God's going to do. It's not going to affect anything. Or maybe when it comes down to it, if, if we were really honest with ourselves, and this is deep and dark in the back corners of our mind, there's the thought that, you know what, maybe God just really didn't care very much for me. And that that wrong belief clouds our judgment and clouds how we think about prayer. But, but let me say this morning, not only are these beliefs wrong if you're holding them, they're also sinful assaults on God's character. And if we're holding these beliefs this morning, we need to repent of them as sin and confess them to God as sin and then to allow God to take his word and to show us who God is like what is he like? To return to scriptures, that's what we must do. Because we're talking about a God this morning who says, cast all your cares on me because I care for you, 1 Peter 5, 7. We're talking about a God who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, Hebrews 4, 15. We're talking about a God who remembers that we are but dust and yet has compassion on us as a father does his children. Psalm 103, 13 and 14. We're talking about a God who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, who will with him give us freely all things. Romans 8, 32. We're talking about a God who through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, allows us to come boldly into his throne of grace, to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4, 16. We're talking about a God who cares so much about us and is so interested in us praying to him that he actually intercedes on our behalf when we pray in the persons of his son, Jesus Christ, and in the person of the Holy Spirit. What we find in, in Scripture is that even at times when we don't know what to pray or we're so hurt that we can't even verbalize a coherent prayer, that the Holy Spirit speaks on our behalf to, to the Father, interprets our prayers, interprets our groanings. Hebrews 7, 25, Romans 8, 26, tell us Christ himself and the Holy Spirit intercede for us when we pray. That's how much God wants to hear from us. 
He knows that our prayers are weak. He knows that our prayers are faulty. He knows that we don't know what to pray for as we ought. And yet he gives us help. He gives us divine help to pray. We're talking about that God. We're talking about a God who says in the companion parable to this, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Luke eleven thirteen. And that's just a fraction of what the God we are privileged to pray to is like. So pray to that God. Repent and confess of, of wrong belief about who God is, his character, his nature, and who you are as a result. And go and remind yourself in Scripture who God is, what he is like. You see, Jesus is not making a one-to-one comparison in this passage between, between the judge and God the Father. This is, instead, this is what we call an argument from the lesser to the greater. What he is saying here is, if the widow through persistence was granted her request from the judge who was bothered by her, how much more will God, and God is the emphasized word in, in verse 7, how much more will God give us righteous answers to our request when we call on him in prayer. If, if this judge, who, who couldn't hardly be bothered by this woman, who didn't want anything to do with her, if he helped her, how much more will God help you when you pray? That, that's what's being said in the text this morning. Because we're not talking about an unjust judge who doesn't care about humanity. We're talking about God who loves us. He's not the unjust judge, but the righteous judge. He's not just the judge of a certain city, but he's the judge of the entire universe. How much more will he grant our petitions, our persistent petitions when we come to him in prayer? And notice, not only is is there a lesser to the greater when it comes to the judge being compared to God God the Father, there's also a lesser to the greater when it comes to the, the widow being compared to us, his people. Because see, We are not some random people with no relation to the judge, but we're God's elect, his called out special people, bought with the precious blood of his son, Jesus Christ, and adopted into his family as dearly beloved children. But the question this morning is, are are you part of his people? Have you ever realized that you were born separated from God by your sin and under his righteous wrath because of that sin? You see, God is a just judge. And because he doesn't desire that any should perish, he sent his only son, Jesus, into the world to die on the cross to pay your penalty and mine, for the the penalty for our sin, and to to provide a righteous way for us to be made right, to be reconciled to God the Father. So maybe you're here this morning, the Holy Spirit is opening your eyes to that truth. Opening your eyes to see your sinfulness, to see your total inability to save yourself, and showing you that Jesus is your only hope for forgiveness from God, for for right standing with God, for salvation from an eternity uh, uh, separated from God in a place of torment called hell. This morning, if that's you, and the Holy Spirit is opening your eyes to this truth, will you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your only hope to save you and 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 to adopt you into his family as one of his people? I pray that you will call on Jesus today who is mighty to save. But look back in the text with me, back at verse 7. Jesus asked us rhetorically here, will not God who is greater 
make things right for his people who are of greater relation as they cry out to him in faith day and night. Of course he will. Of course he will. In his perfect timing, in his perfect will, by his righteous character, God will answer. And we can trust that because God is good, his answers will be good even when they're not what we wanted. Even when they were not what we exactly prayed for. We know that because God is good, his answer was good. Because God is right, his answer was right. We can trust that. We can trust that God knows best and his ways are best. And we can pray persistently to an all-knowing God who delights to hear us and is all-powerful to act on our behalf. And although it seems like from our perspective sometimes that God must be delaying an answer, just because it doesn't make sense to us doesn't mean it, it doesn't make perfect sense to God. God is constantly at work in us, and he's constantly at work in others, bringing about his desired end of all things. And so what may feel like delayed justice for us may in fact be extended mercy and grace for someone else who needs it. It, it, it may be extended mercy for them, allowing them time to repent and believe. You know, it's the funny thing about God's patience and his grace. You know, when we realize that, that we are in very much in need of God's grace and his patience, we, we think it's the best thing ever. We like, give me some more of that. Yes, I need that. But then we forget that. And when another person wrongs us and needs it too, needs God's grace and mercy too, we want the justice of God to come swiftly raining down on their heads. And we forget that we're in the same boat as them. But will God delay long? That's also asked in the text. From our perspective, it may seem like it's yes. However, God promises to bring about justice, to make things right, and that promise is sure and certain. But it will always happen in his time, which we must tr trust is the right time because God is righteous. And in the meantime, while we, while we perceive a delay, we have to persist in our prayers. And in the process, we'll, we'll see our faith tested. Uh, Oftentimes it will, it will be a, a process God uses to help refine us and make us more like him, and make us less dependent on, on the things of the world, more dependent on him. But thankfully, we can persist and we can pray in full confidence that God is not indifferent to our pleas. Despite the appearance of a delayed response, God has promised to, to answer. It's, it's, it's like the Apostle Peter said in 2 Peter 3.9. He, he says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some people count slackness, but he's long-suffering toward us because he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. And so know this, as, a, as, a, as an old pastor once said to me, God is always on time. He's never late, but he's rarely early. God is always on time. He's never late, but he's rarely early. Oftentimes, that delay is for our good to shape us and make us more like him, to make us more dependent on him, uh, to teach us more things about himself. And that leads us into uh, our last point, and that's as Christ's people, we must live by faith, confident of his soon return. This is verse 8. Look back with me in the text. I tell you, 
that he will avenge them speedily. He will give them justice speedily. His people, his elect. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth? You see, Jesus here answers his own rhetorical question about God's forbearance by promising his disciples the ultimate justice will come quickly. Remember that this whole, this whole parable is couched in the context of questions about the end of time, about the coming of the Son of Man. And so Jesus is promising here that his coming kingdom will once and for all make everything right. And that while his people may suffer wrong in the here and now, that while his people may suffer injustices here and now and in this life, they can pray to a God in full confidence to the God that he will answer soon and that he will make all things right one day. But how are we to understand this aspect of God bringing final justice speedily? Because it seems kind of opposite of what the parable is teaching, right? Especially when the parable has been about persistently praying, continually praying. When we hear language like uh, pray and, and don't lose heart, when we hear language like crying day and night to God, when we hear language uh, in the text like God bearing long with his people, uh, doesn't persistence assume at least some measure of delay? Uh, and so how do we understand the fact that, that, that Christ says here in the text that, that his justice will come speedily? So, so I think two things are at play here. Uh, on the one hand, we have the matter of perspective, that what seems like a long time to us as finite uh, human beings is not even a blink of an eye to an eternal God. So on the, on the one hand, we have that, that truth, that, that there's a matter of perspective here. But on the other hand, the, the word for speedily or quickly used here in the text, it could indicate the suddenness of God's final judgment when Christ returns. And, and let me say, although I think the, the first view is, is true in general, I, I, I tend to favor the second view as being the one that, that Christ is speaking of here. Because if you look at, there is the context of sudden judgment in this whole passage uh, when, you, when you read the whole passage back in chapter 17. Uh, you, you'll see sudden judgment of the wicked, the rescue of his saints, when you look back 17, like uh, verses 26 through 30. Because Christ gives two examples there, two Old Testament examples of, of, of judgment. Uh, and he uses Noah's flood and he uses uh, the destruction of Sodom in, in those passages. And so both happened very suddenly uh, from the vantage point of those who were unprepared for the judgment. And the key word there is unprepared for judgment. You, you know, however, both of them were offered extended periods of grace, uh, periods to repent and believe prior to judgment, although those, those offers were soundly rejected in both cases. You see, before the flood came, Noah spent a very long time building that, that ark. And he was, he, was, he was out there with his sons hammering away day after day and, and calling people to repentance, calling people, warning them of the judgment to come. But they just laughed at him. They said, this, this, what is this fool doing? Who is this guy? What is he building? And, and that's what Jesus says in, in Luke 17, that people went about their days. They, they ate and they drank. They got married. They were given in marriage. They made long-term plans as if life just going to keep going on as it is until it was too late, until God closed the door of the ark. 
And it was too late for them. And the same thing uh, happened in Sodom. The people people of Sodom, they laughed at Lot's warning. They thought he was a drunkard. They thought he was a fool. And then only he and his daughters escaped alive when judgment came. It uh, it says there in Luke 17 that that they they ate, they drank, that they planted in their fields. They were were long-term. They were building houses. And they were unprepared for when the judgment came. And so either way we view this, uh, we need to know that Christ promises to return and to restore all things. Justice will one day prevail. And the overwhelming sadness and feelings that life shouldn't be the way that it is will one day be made right. And Christ wants us as his people to persevere with patience, with faith, looking for and longing for his return. So when the Son of Man comes back, will he find faith on the earth? That's the question Jesus asked in the text. And, and, and it's a rhetorical question because obviously he will find faith on the earth. But the real question this morning for us is, will he find faith in us? Will, 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 we, will, will we be people who are persevering in faith? That's the more pressing question. Will you watch and pray until he returns? Will you cry out to the one who loves you and cares for your needs, the one who feels your hurt, the one who sent his son to redeem you to himself as a special people. Will you do that this morning? Will you persist in faith? Because we need to be confident of one thing this morning. God has not forgotten his people. He has not. Regardless of how awful circumstances are or become, and I don't take light of your circumstances this morning. I do not. But God sees and he knows and he will act according to his goodness. We can be confident of that. Keep, keep asking for him to act. Don't give up. You know, even if what you're asking for is, is not exactly his perfect will, pray until he changes your mind on the situation. That's part of what prayer does is it changes our mind on the situation. The persistence allows us clarity from him to see his, his will, to see things play out in his way. Pray, keep praying. Ask God for help to, to see his perspective on the matter. And many times what we'll find, as I said, is it, it will change our heart. We can realize that what we're wanting is, is not God's best for a situation. And other times it'll just be to grow our faith, to get us to depend on him more. And it'll allow God to reveal himself in new in exciting ways, new, new and deeper ways that he could not otherwise. But I just want to say this morning, when, when we pray, we're not bothering our, our Heavenly Father. He wants to hear from you. He, and I'll say he wants to hear from you infinitely more than we want to pray to him. He wants to hear from you. In Christ, you're not some random person. You're his dearly beloved child. And Christ has died on the cross to give us unprecedented access to the Father. Don't waste it this morning on fear and doubt. Don't waste it this morning on on foolish pride and ignorant self-sufficiency that I can do it all myself. No, you can't. You weren't designed to. Only God can do. So as as we get ready to close this morning, I want to circle back to our, our, our asking spectrum from the introduction to this sermon and say... You know what? We need to be more like children 
when it comes to asking God. Knowing that we have a need. Knowing our, our helplessness to, to solve that need. Trusting God's uh, ability to act. And willing to ask. Being willing to ask. Are you willing to ask this morning? And in fact, if, if you keep reading Luke 18, after you, you pass through the, the parable of the tax collector uh, and the Pharisee, you'll come to a verse that says, uh, 18, 17, Truly I say unto you, whoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. We must become as little children, dependent on God the Father. As the Apostle John said, 1 John 5, 14 and 15, this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired from him. So ask and keep asking. Ask in faith. Persist in prayer. Keep seeking him. And don't give up. Don't lose heart this morning because he cares for you desperately this morning. A few applications as we close. The first one is simply this. Repent and believe the gospel for salvation. It's the only way to be prepared for the coming judgment we we talked about. Good works and self-effort will not get you there. A lifetime of attending church will not get you there. It is only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that you can be made right with God, that you can have a home in heaven, that, that you can spend eternity with Christ. That is the only way. It's through the blood of Christ. Secondly, I would say this. Christian, believer, follower of Christ, allow God's word to remind you and remind you and keep on reminding you of God's goodness. Go back to the text time and time again. Remind yourself of what God's word says. Remind yourself of the promises that are there to be found. We need that desperately because we forget And it's why we need to be in Christian communities so that other people, uh, other followers of Christ can remind us when we forget, can come alongside us and say, hey, I hear you saying this and and I I sympathize with your struggle, but let me me remind you of the goodness of God. Let me turn your eyes off of circumstances and back onto the holy God who cares for you and who is able to act. We need that. We need that from one another. And thirdly, I would say this, pray with persistence. And pray with confidence that God will act. And, and let, let that confidence come from the scripture, from who God says he is, from his word. Allow that confidence to, to inform and to impel us to pray, to propel us to pray and, and keep on praying in confidence that he hears us and he cares for us. And lastly, I would say, remain faithful. Remain faithful to the end and witness, be a witness to those who do not believe. Because see, when when Christ returns, he will find faith on earth. But will it be you and me? That's the question. For those of us who are prepared for his return, it's going to be a time of overwhelming joy, an overwhelming relief. Things will be made right. And yet, if you remain in your unbelief this morning, and those who do, it'll be a time of terror as the righteous judge of all the universe sentences those who do not believe to an eternity apart from him in a place of torment and separation called hell. We need to be faithful and witness to others so that they can be ready. And we need to ready ourselves uh, by sharing the hope of Christ with them, with, with each other.
As you, would you bow your heads with me this morning as we pray? Come to our time of invitation. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the truths found in it, dear God. We thank you that your word is truth without any mixture of error. And we're, we're, we, are, we are thankful that you remind us how good you are in your word. Father, forgive us when we fail to see that, when we allow circumstances of life to cause us to think otherwise. Father, help us to repent of that as sin this morning. Give us the grace to do that, dear God. Father, if there's one here without you uh, who, who, who has never come to uh, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, Father, I pray this morning that you would draw them to yourself as only you can. And, and Father, I, I pray that, that, that we as God's people, uh, your people, that, that, that we would be uh, persistent in our prayer to you. Father, help us this morning. Give us liberty in, the, in, this, in this time of invitation, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. As we stand to our feet this morning, if, if you need to come and pray, uh, I'd love to pray with you. Uh, if you need to pray there at your seat, do that as well. But however the Lord leads you uh, as we stand and sing this morning.